everyone and welcome back to another episode of Anne's Annotations. In today's episode, I would like to talk about the idea of, quote, acute consciousness as prescribed by the narrator of Notes from the Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Um, about the idea of being hyper aware of things, of the hypocrisy of human beings. It is quite um, a very existential kind of thing and often a symptom of anxiety and depression is being hyper aware of things that are happening around you to the point of dizziness and sickening sensation. In this episode, I would like to explore what it means to have an acute consciousness consciousness as portrayed in literature and what are the consequences of it is it a gift or a burden why do many of these hyperconscious literature most often carry with them with it a sad tone why do many admire this kind of literature what does it say about us I will be discussing this topic through its depiction from Notes from the Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky, No Longer Human by Osamu Dazai, and Hamlet by Shakespeare. I will also be mentioning a bit of gothic text and a movie that I've watched, um, which is called The Machinist by Brad Anderson, um, which starred Christian Bale. So, what is it like to have an acute consciousness? Well, in general, one's consciousness is overflowing to the point of uh, what we would describe as moral dizziness, over-intellectualizing in the abstract to the point of anxiety. The awareness of one's responsibility of what does it mean to be a human being in society. On the one hand, this phenomenon can be translated as being, quote, spiteful, as the narrator from Notes from the Underground proclaim. He claims that, quote, I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. Here, the narrator's first bitter statement in the short novella already sort of associates the fact that being acutely aware um, with some kind of mental disorder, you know, calling himself sick. And in a way, most of the narratives surrounding this can be diagnosed as a mental illness. This is to reinforce the idea that perhaps it is abnormal. At least, it is a, it is a mental um, state of someone that hinders one's socialization, which I guess is important when, you know, living in a society, which leads us to one of the most characteristic attributes of these peop- these characters um, who have the acute consciousness, which is the antisocial tendencies. Similarly, in No Longer Human, Yozo, the main character, feels, quote, disqualified as a human being for not knowing what, quote, ticks normal person. 
as if one needs to prove that their humanness, and the and this word disqualified, really makes as if、uh, to live is to play a game. He doesn't understand the normal etiquettes of interactions, and mechanism behind the nature and theater of society. And this is the same with Hamlet from the play Hamlet by Shakespeare. His distaste of the theatrical nature of royal court and its corruption leads him to decide to put on a quote antic disposition in order to bring about. Um, the level of vileness within the members of the court, which in turn arguably drove him insane. Often they are critical of what we call society, and are appalled by the fact that people can quote serenely engage in deceit, as Yozo would put it, as if there is this more corruption in social.、Um, In socialization and social contracting. Similarly, Hamlet told Polonius not to let his daughter Ophelia to quote walk in the sun, which can be interpreted as a metaphor for being corrupted by the court. The sun can be seen as a royal symbol, especially with Louis XIV, who is literally nicknamed the Sun King. Although the human connection of these characters established. Varies. The extreme would be the nameless character of notes. Others, despite having anti-social behavior, still manage to build some kind of social relation, such as with Yozo and Hamlet. This shows that although one can have symptoms of the acute consciousness, it doesn't always mean extreme seclusion from society. And seclusion here is. Interaction, you know, Hamlet and Yozo all put on a mask to interact, but they are still interacting. But that's a whole nother debate, I guess.、Um, the centrality of the self as a concept is also key to, with these characters. They are hyper aware of their self in relation to the outside world, which leads them to overthink about their actions as well as others. Sometimes, especially if they have some degree of arrogance, they might jump to many conclusions about others without letting them explain themselves. And this makes me think of Hamlet, who, despite his mental anguish, is also quite vile in the sense that he's so sure of himself, partly, that he often makes assumptions about others, and no one challenges his perceptions. In a way, these people are quite. Selfish, maybe with the exception of Yozo, but the hyper self awareness, though at times can be under this, the disguise of self effacement, often leads them to、um, in making the problem evolving around them and what they feel instead of the actual problem itself. Another thing that is characteristic is that they are in this static conflict when it comes to decisions. Often they feel this quote unspeakable fear, as Yozo puts it, when faced with alternatives and decisions, which leads them to be quite dependent on others, needing an imposed structure yet not wanting to follow it. This paradoxical experience often paralyzes them, 
hindering their social progression. Through Yozo, one does wonder which criteria should one use to define a human being. How do we treat those who who don't necessarily fit in within those criteria? Similarly, for Hamlet in his seventh soliloquy, ask this question: quote, "What is a man?" For him, a man at times can just be like quote, "a beast no more, who just sleeps and eats." He reasons that if man is gifted with quote, "large discourse." As in large capacity of reasoning by God, is wasting it constitute a crime? What does he mean by discourse? Because from what we can see, Hamlet, from Hamlet, he reasons a lot. Yet the only thing that he is incapable of is bring about actions. Is can this be the crux of the problem? Is the problem with many of these types of characters? Is that although they think and reason, they're unable to tie it down to reality, to bring about an action. The narrator from Notes would agree. Quote, oh, gentlemen, perhaps I really regard myself as an intelligent man, only because throughout my life, my entire life, I've never been able to start or finish anything. Of course, through these three characters, we see that although they all To some extent, or isolated from society, they react differently. One with conscious vileness, one with humility and fear, and one with just self-critical and almost self-hatred. So that hopefully gives you an idea of what it means to have an acute consciousness,、um, of what acute consciousness would constitute based on these characters. Now we'd like to focus. Uh, to discuss what do we associate、um, with this idea? Often we associate this hyper awareness to intellectualism and artistry. Subsequently, it is often that we praised those who have it, although only when they produce valuables. We sometimes hold them at distance, admiring their work. Yet hating and resenting their behavior, which often brings about misery not only to them but those around, and you know, like many of you know, famous painters, for example, during their life, I'm quite sure their acute consciousness led to many,、um, not only led them to be miserable, but the people around them.、Um, To be fed up in a way and frustrated, yet their legacy is often highly praised, and yeah, that's what I mean. So, is it a gift or a burden? Through Yozo from No Longer Human, it is a burden. It takes the fun out fun out of life. For instance, when he quote. Realized that they actually served a practical purpose, and this revelation of human dullness stirred dark depression in him. Knowing things, the practicality of the world often leads some people to become disillusioned with the so-called beauty of the world, knowing that things don't have any deeper meaning besides utilitarian, can sound a bit depressing and austere. This realization of this quote superfluous of life, as 
It is ascribed in nausea by Jean Paul Sartre, for Yozop, yet renders existence bleak. In the context of this particular novel, it can be explained by the rapid artificial modernization and the legacy left behind by the Meiji Restoration and the war that has been a huge cause of existential crisis, not only for the author, but for Japan as a nation. Many things were imitating Western models, but that had nothing to do um, with the real value other than showing how, quote, modern Japan is, and that there were cultural conflicts. Similarly, for Hamlet, this acute consciousness is, quote, one part wisdom and ever three part coward. As if to reason is to find excuses rather than actually being the solution. The modal adjective ever really reinforces that universal nature of the statement. Subsequently, it does sound like he is being a bit critical of philosophers, um, not all philosophers. Through this, it paints them as being, quote, pigeon-livered, um, coward, compared to the man of action, who even though are stupid, seem still to be considered as better, at least for society. And we can see that in... Hamlet's seventh soliloquy again, where he compares himself with Fortinbras, who also um, has similar narrative, like similar background uh, background narrative to Hamlet. Yet he, unlike Hamlet, took actions, and he's actually saying that perhaps rationalism doesn't help here.、Um, he could have. He could have pointed out the irrational and immoral practice、uh, nature of the practice of revenge. Yet he realized that perhaps in his situation, to be honest, that doesn't matter, and actually taking action matters more than reasoning.、Um, and actually, this is quite true in a way that the quote "man of actions" or Better in political discourse, similar feelings are evoked in No Longer Human, where the inability of being happy is considered to be a weakness. For quote, the weak fear happiness, because happiness often means and is associated with freedom, and as Kierkegaard puts it, quote, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Perhaps with Hamlet, he does have some freedom, both from learning at university and knowing about alternatives, but also from his royal position. Yet he is haunted by the traditional role of a prince, and just doesn't know how to navigate. And brings us back to the、um, paradoxical experience of these people facing with alternatives and.、Um, Sort of alternative truth, yeah. So how do they then navigate the world? For Yozo, quote, clowning is the quote accommodation he offered to others, as quote the last quest for love that he was to direct at human beings. For him, the last barrier of protection is his humor, his ability to make people laugh, to deter them away from sniffing out his weakness. For Hamlet, he acts, he performs, 
while the narrator from notes by the time he is writing has secluded himself away with enough money to live out his life quite agreeably and side note this also reminds me of flowers for algernon where a mentally troubled man um yeah he's a he was autist severely autistic had has the chance to go through this um experiment and surgery that would augment his intellectual um, ability. This resulted him in him acquiring a greater consciousness, hyper aware of his surroundings, however only to be met by human vileness. All these stories shows all these stories show that these quote so called acute consciousness is a paradoxical thing. On the one hand, it is a burden. The person finds it finds it almost unbearable or they would resolve to bareness. Yet as, as an audience, we almost relish in their suffering. We'd use them to comfort ourselves. Some people, especially cynical, cynics and adolescents, put them on a pedestal. Although it is one thing to find the poetic in their work, it is another to praise their vulnerability and their mental weakness. We praise them, of the, and the problem is that we praise them from afar, but in reality, those who have to deal with them and live and support them, it is a huge burden for them too. So it is easy for us to praise the, the intellectual and the poetic in this work from a distance, but realistically, if you live with them, I don't think you you would come to the same conclusion. Um, well, not necessarily the same conclusion. Um, and it is, and I think it is not something we should ex- romanticize as much we, to the extent that we are doing a bit at the moment. Um, which, you know, romanticizing them is different from perhaps feeling pity and sympathizing with them. And besides being a burden on oneself, I feel that there is often a sense of an underlying guilt to to these characters, as if being too aware, having too much knowledge of the world is the ultimate sin. Actually, this would fit with the Christian idea of the original sin. Well, some people will debate on this, but if we consider knowledge as the original sin, then it sort of explains this sense of guilt that underlines many of these characters. Furioso in No Longer Human, he feels disqualified as a human being. Thus he feels guilty for not being able to know how a human being is supposed to work, not understanding the normal societal etiquettes. Hamlet too questions himself, am I a coward? When he couldn't bring himself to carry out the normal, traditional revenge narrative that a prince is often born with, perhaps with the exception of the narrator from notes. And and this is where um, I would just like to mention the machinist a bit, where you could, you know, I think the main character um, played by Christian Bale does have those attributes of being hyper-aware, having the acute consciousness. And we find out 
actually, I don't, so spoiler alert, I guess. We find out at the end that the main drive for all of these, for all of these hyper-awareness, is his guilt. Anyway, all of their experience does beg the question, what does it mean to be a man, to be a human being, particularly in relation to society? Can an individual exist outside of a society? In no longer human, um, the main character would say no, because society is an individual. Quote, what is society but an individual? And therefore societal etiquettes are essential for survival and flourishment. Those who don't abide by these rules would often struggle. Um, and I would just like to um, talk a bit about this uh, trope of acute consciousness in Gothic writing. Since you know the Gothic mode, the Gothic writing, is often used um, to foster fear in the reader. Reader, uh, this mental anguish and torment is a frequent element in these kind of literature, particularly in psychological Gothic. As we see more often in the twentieth and twentieth century, um, we see the tormenting aspect of acute consciousness being utilized in Gothic text. You know, many, you know, many of especially first narrate first perspective first narrator perspective in Gothic text is that you know they are hyper aware of the uncanny of the weirdness around them, which. Um, again, have s quite similar attributes and similar characteristics to these characters. Um, although, and and we could say that you know these novels can be said that they have gothic-like characteristics, but they might not be exactly a gothic text. But that's for another debate. So. Um, coming back to a point that I alluded to before, it seems that we have this fascination about people's torment. Um, some even find it relishing, or it it feels it just feels people's attraction to torment itself. You know, mask mas sorry, I forgot the word, um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Through what we can interpret as attraction to torment itself through what we can interpret as romanticization of their situation, almost leading to, quote, the pleasure of despair. But then it is in despair that we find the most acute pleasure, especially when we are aware of the hopelessness of the situation, as explained by the narrator in notes. And I think... It is quite true in a way, that sort of cynical view of hopelessness, um, and the only, you know, that that it's ironically go, ironically I guess, um, goes by the philosophy of seeing the beauty out of the worst, like you know, see the best out of the worst, and you know when it is hopeless. I guess some people just. Um, decides to see the best in their situation and that best thing can be the torment itself, I guess. Um, 
and also what I think can explain the central theme of of this um, of this uh, the, our our fascination with these kind of literature is the theme of society versus individual that helps people as individuals to sympathize with these isolated characters in these novels. It points out the hypocrisy of the mass and the triviality of some of the social etiquettes. I think everyone can relate to this to some degree. The idea of anxiety of communication or the anxiety of choices or moral implications or the exasperation from living in a hypocritical world. And what is helpful, one could say, is that these liter these kinds of literature um, can provide us with props um, for us to reevaluate ourselves, reevaluate the current quote, mass culture, and to perhaps find a better way. Now, there is a difference, though, between autonomously intellectualizing and internalizing everything. And actually, internalization of um of feelings and emotion i did um talked about a bit in one of my previous episode if you guys want to have a listen although i respect and do find value in this kind of literature my only issue is that i feel that it can be quite easy to turn this into some kind of romanticization of habits that are essentially handicapping one's ability to live with others, not just amongst. We can think individually and find out things by ourselves, but as human beings in community, exchange is important. Communication is key to live with in living with people, not just amongst. Because actually these acute consciousness often lead to an internal internalization of emotions and thoughts which can uh, seen through here is not the greatest habit for health we see them surrounding themselves with um, with more doubts that often lead them to this pathway of self-destruction in a way and I actually um, listen to to this talk um, of someone discussing about Sylvia Plath's poem, and um, and he does talk, mention and talk about this topic a bit, in that um, you know these authors, these people, these characters, they provide with us all this artistry because of their self destruction, and in a way. It's even not their fault. Like we are slightly complicit in that, you know. As I've said, we praise them for it. We praise this sort of morbid intellectualism, morbid art history. That of course, um, it would fuel their self destruction if they already, you know, have it in, them. and which actually perhaps could be a counterfactual to the rationalist philosophy of the Enlightenment which rationalism seems to have been the cure, yet here we see that this idea of rationalism is taken to the extreme, to the point that rationalism becomes the irrational. So that was my take on the concept of acute consciousness through these texts. I think it is a very interesting topic, especially 
with this woke culture and the overuse of intellectualism that is predominant in the adolescent demographic, a relationship with these kind of literature can shed light on the common psychology that is seen exhibited by these younger generations, by my generation. And so, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next time. Um, and please do send me some comments, feedbacks, however you like, and any suggestions for future episodes. Yeah, thank you.